Welcome back to Microfamous. I want to talk about uh, freeing up your time and energy while you're in growth mode. The reason I want to talk about this is because I was out at a client event, uh, the team building uh, workshop hosted by Jeff Cohn. You may know that name from uh, from other references I've made here on the podcast. It was one of the first podcasts that I launched and co-hosted for the first few years with Jeff, uh, and it helped build a multi-six-figure coaching consulting business behind the scenes off the back of that podcast. And so he invited me up to come speak at this event, and I wanted to share something that would give the attendees a, a way to kind of think about and frame uh, freeing up their time and energy so that they could implement some of the things that they're, they would learn at that event. So I wanted to bring this to you on the podcast because, I mean, this really applies whether you're in high growth mode, whether you go to a conference and you want to free up some time and energy so you can implement some new things, or whether you just want to go into the new year and you have want to have a different experience with your business this year. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to let you know, like, I'm feeling a little under the weather today. So if you notice, I'm a little, my voice sounds a little wonky, or if I sniffle a little bit, that is what is up. Uh, but we, we press on. Uh, so let's jump in. I want you to do a thought experiment with me first. Think about some of the things on your schedule, some of the things on your mind that weigh down your time. They suck up your time. Maybe it's you know checking your email. Maybe it's certain meetings. Maybe it's uh, you know commute times to appointments and things like that. Obviously, we don't have as much of that as we used to. Maybe it's other things in your calendar, the other commitments that you've made that really aren't producing the results that you'd like to. Whatever that may be. So you've got a segment of things that are probably on your calendar, in your to-do list and all this stuff that takes up your time. Great. Okay. But then I want you to think about what drains the most energy. What are the things that drain you that when you get done with them, you're like, holy cow, like I need to go take a nap. Like I, it just, it drains your energy because those are not the same thing. Just because something takes time doesn't necessarily mean it drains your energy. And something can be very draining, even though in the big scheme of things, it actually doesn't take up all that much time. Uh, for me, email is one of those things. So one of the reasons why uh, I have uh, a virtual assistant that kind of runs my calendar, checks my email, all those things, because it, it just it was super draining. It didn't really take all that long, uh, but it like drained my soul to just process my email. So what I did is I created a simple system. I hired someone to handle my email. Uh, she screens everything. She sends me a message on Voxer every morning, kind of summarizing the most important things that were in there that actually do need my attention. For the most part, I try to get back to her with a voice message so that she can reply and handle those things for me. Uh, some things obviously just need me to step in and physically answer the email myself, in which case I will. But the fact is, I don't have to jump in there and spend a half hour processing my email to get down to those three or four that might actually need my attention. She does that for me. So it just takes the energy draining part and cuts it to a fraction. So the first big idea that I want to talk about today you just go after the things that drain the most energy first, not necessarily the most time. Uh, chances are your business only needs a few key skills from you. And of all the things in the business that you do uh, outside of those few key skills, uh, some of those just aren't a big deal. And some actually do massively drain your energy like, like, like the email with me. So there's a time a few years ago when I realized that this agency, the podcast production agency that we run, it really only needed three things from me, right? There were things that I was highly skilled at. There were things I enjoyed doing. It's like, great. Okay. Everything else, I started just getting off of my plate ruthlessly, one thing at a time, training, documenting, creating checklists, hiring people, everything. I got everything else off my plate that didn't fall into those top three skills that the business actually needed from me. So the first question 
to just ask yourself is, okay, well, what things drain my energy and how can I get those things off my plate as soon as humanly possible? Now, that brings us to the second big idea that I want to share. And that is systems first, people second. Systems first, people second. Uh, we're living in a massive labor shortage right now. Uh, a players, you know, your top, your top people, your rock stars, uh, those are hard to come by. Uh, now, if you're looking for uh, like a salespeople, uh, a level uh, integrators, for example, a level uh, operations people, OBMs, online business managers, those sorts of things, they're always hard to come by. They always will be, right? But if you focus on having rockstar systems first, you don't always need A players to have a great business. In fact, to me, the better your systems, the better your baseline level of performance is in your business, regardless of whether you have rockstars. So to me, having rockstar systems means you can, you can then hire good, smart, capable people, and you still get rockstar results. And so you might ask, okay, well, then what happens when I do have an A player? It's like, great. Squeeze them for everything they're worth while they're there by having them upgrade your systems while they're with you. Plan on them to outgrow the role, and either you're going to have to promote them internally, and your, your vision for your own business has to grow to keep up with uh, how, how capable they are, or the odds are they're probably going to leave. You know, If you're running a lifestyle business, a lifestyle business doesn't just grow 50% a year every year for the next five or 10 years. Like you, You'll end up being a large business. So to me... Uh, a lot of people end up kind of having to deal with the fact that if you get an A player, odds are they aren't going to stay because if you're building a lifestyle business, it's really hard to create a vision that's big enough to keep them forever and ever. I'll give you an example. So I hired an A player around the middle of last year, and together we built this really great system inside my agency. He even documented the whole system step by step, and he helped hire and train the two people that we had to hire to replace him. He was that good that he was literally doing the work of two different people. He built the system, he created all the checklists, You know, we created that some of that stuff together, most of it he did himself, and then I helped him hire and train the two people that it took to replace him. So when he got an opportunity to move on with this awesome startup, he was able to turn over the keys to the system, to the people that he trained, and I wasn't left scrambling. Not only that, but he's actually still able to be involved at a, a few key little decision points in the system where it's helpful to have him involved. And he's able to do that for, you know, from a distance, basically, while he was able to go and move on to this bigger opportunity for him. Uh, and everybody was better off for it, right? I was actually better off for him being with me for a year, uh, even though he moved on. So I didn't lose the value, right? Because he built this amazing system. And then we hired a couple of people. We split that into different roles. We created checklists and trainings and all this stuff. So that now I'm left with a system that runs like a rock star, even though I don't need rock star people at each level to run it. And I certainly don't need a new systems builder to run it. So I don't plan in my agency on retaining rockstar people for my business to work. Um, if you're building a lifestyle team, I mentioned this earlier, at some point, you're going to hit like this, this point where you don't need to keep growing, right? Because then it starts to encroach onto the lifestyle that you're looking to hit. I would call that maybe a sweet spot uh, where you're not looking to grow just for its own sake. You know, the, the, the typical answer to keeping A players is, well, you just got to have a vision big enough to keep them. It's like, okay, that's great. That doesn't work if you're building a lifestyle business. If you're building a business to sell, if you're building a business for it to infinitely grow as much as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can, that works. But it's really hard when you're running a lifestyle business where the limiting factor on the business is your own lifestyle and your own peace of mind. It's really hard to create a vision for the growth of that business that's big enough to keep a super high-level person. It just is. That's just the reality of it. Uh, so at some point, I think you have to be honest with yourself and the people on your team. 
you may not be able to retain all of your A people by giving them this huge vision of growth within your team, a vision of them growing while they stay with you. To me, you have to acknowledge that their vision may take them out of your team, so you may as well plan for it. And to me, McKinsey Consulting is the best example of this. They've known for decades that they're only going to retain one you know, out of every five people they hire. Those are rough numbers. But when they hire a crop of consultants that are fresh out of their getting in their MBA, they know they're not going to keep all of them. They're only going to keep one out of a handful because they only keep the best of the best, and that's their that's their mantra. So what they've done is McKinsey has created this up or out structure, and McKinsey is actually well known for this in the consulting world. And and what it does is up or out, just in brief, basically means, look, you, you move up or you move out. So they're going to retain one out of every five consultants they hire, which means the one moves up uh, and becomes like a senior consultant, and all the other junior consultants out of that five that they hired are cordially invited to move on to other opportunities outside the firm, right? Now, you'd think, well, that's going to piss a lot of people off, but surprisingly, no, because they know that's what's going to happen. So what they do is they make the effort to create this international fraternity of former McKinsey types who weren't retained, but ended up at other companies. Because that almost becomes like a training ground and other people look at that and go, oh, wow, like you went through McKinsey, like you're, you may not be the one they decided to retain, but you're good enough for us. Let, let's bring you in. So what happens is McKinsey has a whole crop of people out there that they didn't retain at their firm, but now go to work at companies. And guess what those people do? They turn around and recommend that their companies hire McKinsey, right? So often the candidates that didn't make the cut end up being McKinsey's best clients. How crazy is that? So the net result of that is that McKinsey gets the best out of all the people that they hire while they're there, even though knowing that they're going to dismiss four out of every five people. So I have a similar thing in my in my agency. We have kind of an informal up or out policy. Um, you know, you can, you know, we can all have that basically, right? We can all have this policy of, look, we, we only retain the absolute best, the people that follow our systems best, the people that fit the best, the people that fit the culture the best. Um, you know, we essentially, you know, as one of my clients put it, we only retain the people who can make us a lot of money or save us a lot of money, right? Everyone else is going to outgrow their role and move out of the team at some point. And Hey, let's support you in that journey. Let's set you up for bigger, better things when you move on from our team. So to me, when you have a lifestyle business and there's kind of a natural cap on the growth of their business, which is what, which is your lifestyle, um, the best way to keep a players is to frame it that way. It's, Hey, it's up or out. We're only going to retain the absolute best, but if you choose to leave or if you just outgrow the role here, we're going to make sure that you're positioned for success when you leave. We're going to do everything we can to help you move into that new role, help you move on to that new thing. And the best part of all is while you're here with us, you're going to make our systems better. So you leave our business better when you leave and everybody has an amazing experience together. That's the goal. So that brings us to one of the biggest challenges in building a team, which is losing too many people, especially those A players. So if you're a, a like a rainmaker, a founder type, just that high energy, you know, if you know that your disc assessment, the high D, high I, you're super driven, you're super active, super energetic, you're going to burn through some people, right? Because most most people can't handle being around that kind of a person, a rainmaker, a, a, you know, an entrepreneurial founder type person. Uh, I have um, a client who she did seven figures in uh, revenue last year, which means essentially like every hour that she works of every week of the year is worth something like $600, $700 an hour, right? Um, now, if she paid a VA, um, you know, $600 a week or something like that, uh, really all that VA would have to save her is an hour of time for that to be worth it. 
but she's the classic rainmaker, right? Burned through some people, had some bad experiences along the way from hiring some people, and so continues to just mainly do everything herself. Nothing wrong with that, but I think there's a lot of leverage there. And if you think about it in terms of that, like, hey, my time is worth 250 an hour, 500 an hour, 1,000 an hour. Hey, it's worth it to hire somebody to do something like check my email or set my calendar appointments or send follow-ups to people and track them down and stuff like that. Stuff that you don't think about and you go, oh, I can do that. Well, yeah, you can, but it takes energy. It takes energy. And so it's a shame. It's a shame because that, that sort of thing is fixable. And the key to that goes back to the second big idea we're talking about. Systems first, people second. If you start with systems, then you can just have good, smart, capable people brought in and they will help and they will support. So it's just a matter of how do you keep those people in great performance out of them? That brings us to the third big idea, which is manage people by numbers, not by feelings. So one of my mentors is a really high-level performance coach, and he's built these incredible spreadsheets full of formulas and data tracking and data visualization to help his clients track and raise their performance level. Well, okay, so what's the problem with that? People couldn't handle it. <laughs> Even the highest sales performers, we're talking people that are billing routinely seven figures a year, year after year, uh, they have trouble caring deeply about more than three metrics or three numbers. Um, the people on our teams are definitely no different. We need to give the people on our team a definite and secure way to know that they're doing a good job. You know, in my past, I've been in both positions. I've been the founder and I've worked for the founder. And it's hard. It's hard to work for a founder when you're operating in an environment where there's not a lot of systems and everything is experimental. Everything is a project. We're doing everything for the first time where, you know, everything is on a deadline, but we don't really know how long anything takes. Like, it's really hard to know where you stand. With, with the founder, it's hard to know what's expected of you. It's hard to know when you're doing a good job and when you're not. And you got to remember, that's what you're doing to your people on your team when you operate in that environment. When you don't have a lot of systems, when the expectations are unclear, they're never quite sure when they're doing a good job. So the best thing that you can do when you hire someone is narrow everything down to numbers and base their performance goals on those three numbers. No more than three numbers. And if they hit those numbers, they're doing a good job. If they don't hit their numbers, they're not doing a good job. Simple as that. So what happens if our people hit their numbers and we're still not getting the results we want in the business? Whose fault is that? Well, it's our fault for not knowing our numbers. We're the ones that set the expectations. We're the ones that set those performance goals. If they're not getting us the results that we want, it's our fault and we have to go back and revise the numbers. Uh, but it's not our people's fault. When our people know exactly what to expect and that we take responsibility for setting those numbers to get the outcomes that we want, it gives our people on our team what they want. What they want is security, stability, a sense of support, and they want that kind of culture of, of clear expectations. I clearly know what numbers I'm going to hit. I know when I show up to the meetings and I report this number, whether it's going to be good or bad. I don't have to worry about the mood that the boss is in. I don't have to worry about the emotions. I just know if I hit my numbers, they're going to be happy. They may not get the results they want. Those numbers may change over time, but I know that they're not going to be unhappy with me if I got the numbers that they want, they want to see. That's what your people are looking for. That's the sense that they want to have when they roll in every morning to a meeting. So if you create that culture, that extreme ownership type of culture where you own the result and they own their numbers, then your people will not only want to reach those numbers, but when something goes wrong, they'll want to roll up their sleeves and help you fix it. They don't just mentally check out and go, well, that's not my problem. So I want to leave you with this. In our agency, we have a weekly meeting. It's run by my head of content who's based in South Africa, and she runs that meeting, not me. She asks all the key questions that everyone knows in advance. Everyone reports in their key numbers. She's the one that interrogates and tracks those numbers. 
I offer suggestions and and little tweaks, so I'm I'm valuable in that meeting, but I'm not necessary. That meeting happens whether I'm there or not, and that meeting is what determines whether the business runs smoothly for that week, one week at a time. So I could leave the business for weeks or even months, and we continue to perform at a high level for a pretty long time. And as the founder of a lifestyle business, that gives me the security, stability, and support that I want, right, as the founder. So to sum it up, here are the big three ideas that we cover. Number one, if you're going to get things off your plate, go after the things that drain the most energy first, not necessarily the most time, right? Energy, not time. Second big idea is build your systems, then bring in the people, right? Systems first, people second. If you try to bring in people first, it's very, very difficult. You've got to have systems that people can walk into because that's where they get that sense of security and stability, and then they can help you improve the system. So systems first, people second. And finally, the last big idea is manage people by numbers, not by feelings. That's how you free up time and energy while your business is in growth mode. So uh, I've mentioned the the podcast agency a couple of times throughout a little bit about how we run it. But if you want to have a podcast like this, whether you want to do solo episodes, whether you want to have guest conversations, whether you want to feature some of your successful clients, there's a lot of different ways to use a podcast. But ultimately, what we want to do is help coaches and consultants launch podcasts that help them dominate and become the number one expert in a fast growing niche, right? Because that to me, that's how you get, you know, five, 10x ROI on your investment in a podcast. So we take our, all the details behind the scenes. All you do is show up. Uh, we do even the guest booking and the guest communication after an episode comes out. So you don't have to worry about any of that. You just show up, hit record, talk, do your thing, have fun conversations, walk away. We do everything else from the very start, you know, guest booking all the way to audio, video production, social media promotion, email promotion, uh, letting the guests know that their episode is out and helping them promote it and all that fun stuff. So if you're interested in that, just go to our website. There'll be a link around this episode where you can jump onto my calendar. We can talk a little bit about your podcast podcast idea, see if it has legs, see what niche that you're in or what niche you might position yourself to go after so that you can be number one in a fast growing niche. To me, that is the secret to success right now in launching new podcasts. It's identifying that fast growing niche and positioning you through the podcast to be the number one coach or consultant in that niche. So thank you so much for listening. As always, thank you for the reviews. Thanks for the support. I appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next episode of Microfamous.